Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. Another button. Welcome to Cannabis Legalization News, where today we're going to be discussing social justice and cannabis with Akili. Akili, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Akili Parnell. I'm a cannabis attorney, uh, now soon to be an economic and community development attorney with the Chicago Lawyers Committee of Civil Rights. Uh, my background is uh, started in the industry about a couple of years ago, working for Green Thumb Ministries, Inc., which is one of the largest uh, multi-state operators in the cannabis space based in Chicago. Um, there I was in-house attorney working on a wide range of transactional matters and then also on our social impact uh, plans um, and initiatives. I'm also a member of Chicago Normal, which was or is one of the main organizations in the Chicago and Illinois, uh, in the state of Illinois, too, um, advocating for the advancement of social equity and restorative justice and cannabis legalization. Is GTI, I saw that was in your resume, is, is GTI uh, a medical company then? Yeah, so they do both. Um, you know, it depends on the market. When Illinois was, you know, just medical or it is just medical now, you know, here we, you know, sell medical cannabis. Uh, but, you know, states like Nevada um, and Massachusetts, we sell medical and recreational. They sell medical and recreational cannabis. Oh, shit. So it's a big company. It ain't just one state. No, it's uh, probably the second or third biggest, probably second most valuable. Yeah, I mean, they even, you can buy their stock. I mean, it's OTC. You buy it. Yeah. They have a stock that's out there you can buy. And how many states, are they're operating in many different states. How many states is GTI operating in? And we have licenses. They have licenses. I'm no longer there uh, as of a couple months ago. Um, but I think uh, they have licenses. Little brand, they do, yeah. Like their rhythm brand. <laughs> yeah. So uh, can you tell us about their rhythm brand uh, and and give us some background on that? Do you, are you familiar with it? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's found yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of our most popular brand. Um, you know, covers a wide range of products. Um, you know, quality so trucker hat. Find your rhythm. Did you guys trademark that? Do you know anything about the, the IP of GTI? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know a little bit. Um, but I don't know about the find your rhythm, whether or not that's trademark. But, uh, of course, that, you know, there's limits on the amount of you know protection you can get, you know, uh, right. uh, 
That's it. That's what I explained to my clients about when they talk about the uh, the IP. They're always like, well, should I get that protected or that protected? I'm like, you have to understand what this protection issue means. Okay, right. you're going to pay me to go get you this protection. And then if somebody comes, you're going to have to pay me some more money to go shut it down. And so right. it, it's an investment in something. And then is it even the right time to do it? You know, so I'll say like, all right, is anybody trying to steal your idea yet? No. Well, mm -hmm. Put it, you know, once you get out there, sure, fine, protect yourself. But they have to understand that it's it's just a lot of money that you're going to be paying to a lawyer to tell some other company yeah. to do something. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. I mean, I think the big, I mean, the big thing you want to do is, you know, you want to like distribute your brand as broadly as possible and, you know, get to the market first and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's the main way that you can protect yourself right now, you know, right. until federal legalization, although, you know, I'm not an IP attorney, but, you know, I know the basics. So. Well, hey, sure. I, oh, go ahead, Mickey. Well, I was just going to say, in cannabis and branding, I mean, in the whole, uh, uh, it's like with Gorilla Glue, you know, uh, right now it's going against everybody that's creating some shit instead of like, right. I just made this strain that everybody, like, no one's going to uh, uh, IP fucking Blue Dream, you know, that's already, you know, yeah, something old. Yeah, yeah, it's already established as something and I think really all cannabis things are like that right now, as far as when it comes to branding. Though what I've seen have is a, like extraction processes, like that's the way that people are saying this is my way to do uh, to make shatter or whatever the heck. You know, that's one way of definitely patenting in uh, intellectual property type stuff. You know, yeah. as far as cannabis goes. But yeah, Achilles, what are you what what are you doing now? As far as like, because you're the social equity guy, right? You're the yeah, I mean, I'd like to be, you know, uh, that's what I care about the most in the industry. That's why I got involved, um, sort of advanced that uh, from the inside. Uh, so right now I'm working with a couple teams to apply for a license in Illinois. Um, Chicago area is ideal. Mm. Uh, so hopefully I'll be, on the, I'll be an operator soon. Um, that would be oh, wow. Awesome. Hey, let's mm -hmm. talk about how they're just kind of doing some crazy stuff, in my opinion, in Chicago. And you're mm -hmm. probably more familiar than I am if you're that close to it. Uh what is the way that Chicago is going to allocate licenses? Yeah, so you probably heard of this con the lottery concept. Is that a reasonable regulation that they have the authority to do under the statute? I think it's an arbitrary regulation. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, let's talk about how Chicago is going to try to roll this out. Go, mm -hmm. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, so, okay, so the first step is you get a license from the state. You know, the state handles the licensing. They create the licensing regime. They issue the licenses. Um, so after you get a license from the state, then you have to go through zoning approvals um, at the city level. Uh, so in Chicago, um, they've come up with an ordinance just passed, I think a week ago or a couple weeks ago, um, an ordinance passed that will create a lottery for people with state licenses to apply uh, to get, you know, the initial zoning approval uh, for the location of their dispensaries. Um, and so the way that's going to be handled, at least in terms of your appearance before, you know, the zoning board will be through a lottery. So we don't know all the ins and outs of that because they haven't issued like regulations on that. That's sort of the next big thing that the state, the city has to figure out is, you know, how are they going to handle the lottery? I think it's going to be interesting. Well, I, I think the, I think the city is going to get sued because like, how is that reasonable? How because the, the, the municipality, unless there's some carve out in the statute that I haven't read that's germane only to the city of Chicago, wouldn't surprise me. But uh, I, I just don't know if that a lottery is a reasonable zoning restriction to the applicant who was awarded that license by the state. And now right. you're going to make that person because that person is on a time bomb. I mean, like not a time bomb, but, you know, they have an expiring window of approximately one year 
from the time mm -hmm. that they're awarded the license to the time that they open. So is this lottery going to just totally screw over? Like, you know, what if your teams get totally mm -hmm. messed up because, you know, yeah. you have you you got your, your application in order. It gets highly scored. It's approved. You know, get open. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it creates an issue, especially for social equity applicants. So for one, you know, the regular licensees, the current medical operators, you know, basically got to figure out where all their locations are going to be and all that. And, you know, of course, they have, you know, the head start. And then, you know, we have this, you know, these new 47 licenses are going to be issued in the Chicago land area. You know, um, and we got to figure out how those are going to be allocated. But we want as so the city should want to prioritize social equity applicants and putting them in the same bunch as everybody else is distant, is not advantageous to them. Doesn't really advance that. Um, and then it's probably not exactly fair because, you know, say you have, you know, you're from a certain neighborhood. You probably have, you know, relationships with real estate agents in that neighborhood. Maybe you already own property and all that. Um, and so ideally you would be sure that you would be able to locate your dispensary there, especially if you're a social equity applicant. I mean, you should be able to go wherever you Yeah, you should, you should. And that, that makes your application stronger because while you're not required to disclose that, it shows you that you're are like it's you're really trying to show them, here's the award, here's when I'm open. And and throwing this wrench of a lottery into it that's saying, Oh, you won? Well, we'll let you know if you win again. And then oh, wow. you can win. That's right. ridiculous. That's just Chicago. Yeah. It's Chicago. You know how that goes. Right. Chicago is its own little Chicago's like imperialistic in Illinois. And so Illinois plays by the rules. Yeah. Unless you're in Chicago. Then it's, well, it's like, totally different. Yeah. It's like Seattle and Washington, but uh, you know, our our transition fucked a lot of people too in the sense that uh uh it was a requirement. Well, first off, we had medical first, and I really wish we did it like Oregon did, where it was just turnkey. Okay, you're medical today, tomorrow you're gonna be recreational. Mm -hmm. Here they fucked so many people over because at the time I think we had uh, like a thousand dispensaries, and in those thousand dispensaries, uh, probably sixty percent of them were uh, from seed to sale. You know, the person in charge or the person behind it was a grower and also the storefront. And then Washington sliced and diced the whole in, uh, market. Uh, they said, okay, to get a license, you have to uh, uh, prove that you have a, the lease agreement and all this stuff you know, all these prerequisites. Now you get your license and then months down the line, say there's a moratorium or something. Uh, now you're fucked. Now all your stuff's gone. Uh, every investment that you put into is just wasted. Uh, and it yeah. seems like for you guys with the social equity applicant type thing, I mean, the whole emphasis is social equity, right? Like this right. person should get a pass. This person's like, Hey, while you're well, fucking up the rules, you have, to, you have to understand it. It's, it's 20%. It's like, we're trying to fix this and you're right. not going to really be able to be allowed in unless you address this 20%. And so every single cannabis winner, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I just, I think they should all be at least 51% owned and controlled by the social equity applicants. Right. Otherwise you shouldn't get the points unless right. I have this, I have this conversation with some clients where I'm like, well, tell me about your coffee shop or tell me about your company that currently is social equity status because you have those full-time employees and you would qualify. And if you right. don't have that, I just think it's disingenuous to start a company and like go to the state. And like, you're basically saying to the state, Hey, um, I, uh, I have hired these 10 people. And then you go, Oh really? Where, where, where are these 10 people from? Well, I've put them all on payroll. And, and what do you do, sir? I sell cannabis. 
Uh-huh. Do you have a license to sell? No, I don't. I'm, I, am a, I am petitioning for my license. And if you don't give it to me, you see those 10 social equity people I gave jobs to and you know, they're just getting paid right now. I'm going to fire them. And then I'm going to sue you. Uh, it's just such a Chicago way to kind of look at the social equity issue. And I'm like, did, did you read the statute? You know, and and but they I, mm -hmm. and then did you see what the state did over the weekend? Like for Friday. No, before you, and I want to go back to that third prong that you're talking right. about the temporary right. employees. Yeah, it. I have an issue with that one. I mean, I thought the point of the social equity program was to, you know, increase ownership in the industry, particularly. You know, of course, you want to increase uh, diversity in those who are, you know, participating in the industry, have jobs and all that. But, um, you know, 10 full time employees thing, I feel like that's one set up for current operators to hire folks that are impacted persons to work in the dispensary or, you know, I guess it could be full time in different capacities. But I mean, it seems like, you know, they would just be like butt tenders, managers, stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, but it doesn't address the ownership piece. So, you know, any well-funded, well-capitalized, you know, you know, company that has no diversity at the management level could meet that problem and take advantage of the social equity applicant status. Um, Boom. Yeah. And, and that's the problem. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, wait, you, you're not going to give them any ownership. I mean, did it's yeah. right there. And then if you read yeah. own and control, the, the ownership and control is like a literally a defined term in the definition. Oh, yeah. And then it talks about ownership, both in the profit and the loss. So like mm -hmm. when we're talking about those horror stories up in Washington state where all these people get screwed over and there's these furloughs that go on because you have one layer of government that says X and another layer of government that says Y and the permit lies somewhere in between. And they're setting that up with the city of Chicago with their, their lottery system. I'm like, okay, because think about the social equity applicants that are going to be in the city of Chicago. There's a lot. If you look at the blue dots oh, on time. the Matt, you know, that's where they're at. And so are they just all going to get strung out and then just die mm -hmm. somewhere from lack of money? Well, what I think, and so I work with a lot of social equity applicants now. Um, of course, all the the uh, applications that I'll be a part of will be social equity, uh, you know, applicants. And uh, one of the big things, one of our big concerns is that they'll be taken advantage of by people that just want to put a name on an application and then submit and take advantage of it and try to you know, use a workaround to extract most of the profits out. I think, you know, the regulators actually did a good job on the ownership control piece because they mentioned, you know, 10% of the yeah. ownership and the control and the profits and all that going to the social equity uh, owners. And I right. think it'd be interesting how people try to get around that. I think we'll have more clarity when, you know, IDPR releases their uh, responses to the questions. You yeah. know, can we do, good can do MSAs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because the IPFR, mm -hmm. they, yeah, they put yeah. this out on Friday where they just gave us a punt. So the notice, they the high volume of applications. Uh, so they were supposed to uh, get that out of the way. Uh, oh, crap. And so they were supposed to like answer questions about the actual application. And so they probably got jammed from all these types of social equity questions that we're discussing. And they punted for a whole week. But then think about, we've talked about these new regulations that are coming in and the state having to take these times. And they actually also had to correct their application. And they're trying their darndest. They really are to like get get the application done in a timely fashion and get it open. But it would not surprise me if uh, deadlines get pushed back. Uh, because yeah, yeah. It's getting more confusion by the day as opposed to less, you know? What's, what's, uh, what's Illinois' uh, record legal date? What's your expected... First door to open January 1st. Yeah, but yeah, those are established. 
you know, go, Akili, I mean, you probably know a lot of the dispensaries that are going to be the ones that open on uh, mm -hmm. the first of the year. Uh, how many licenses do, did GTI like control? Uh, so I think, uh, I think they got the first five, um, of the adult use, conditional adult use, uh, licenses that were issued. Um, and then I think at this point there's like 11, but that, that's not in Chicago. That's, uh, statewide, so a lot of mostly the suburbs. I think there's only one, uh, I think Bedmar is the only one that got approved in the city limits of Chicago. I mean, I expect like, you know, a lot of other dispensaries. I think there's like 11 in the actual mm -hmm. city limits of Chicago right now. I expect most of those to get approved by January one or shortly thereafter. But, um, uh, you know, right now it's, it's not looking like there's going to be a lot of, uh, dispensaries in Chicago open come January one. But not yeah. rec those recreational ones, though, you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because in, in Washington, uh, you know, we had the medical, and then they said, okay, uh, recreational is going to happen on this date. And that's when stores were supposed to open up, and they did, of course. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but um, and I imagine you guys are still trying to create that infrastructure, too, uh, as far as uh, where the guy picks up his seed or where they pick up the farms. Uh, and, and then the storefronts and whatnot, you know, establishing that structure. But uh, that's pretty wild, dude. Hey, you know how you can fix uh, the social equity issue, Tom? No. Homegrown. I, I think. Home Achille, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Illinois did a real good job of fixing the social equity. That was just the most recent piece that I did for the Cannabis Law and Regulation Reporter, where I kind of mm -hmm. like went around them. And so like Maryland ha does a pretty good job too. They'll, they'll give like 15%, but then they have a, a big glaring loophole in Maryland's where it says, and if you couldn't do it, just give your good faith answer as to why. And it, and it may not count. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. But uh, Maryland had, yeah, I mean, talk about loopholes, but it wasn't as bad as Ohio's. Ohio's was really racist and just like they're totally optional and you're reading it and you're just like man do these people not even care but uh, illinois because they they get well the 20 percent of the points and then the competition level so in maryland they had 200 applications for four licenses oh my god yeah and that's where they had a social equity component of 15 percent for similar to what we're doing in illinois with the ownership of control and it's it's interesting the corporate formation documentation. So I have a lot of clients that I'm I'm helping them with that because that's a very you know high level complex issue, and mm -hmm. you need to have it done right because it becomes contingent on your license when you're approved. You know, mm -hmm. so um, waiting, and I'm like sitting there and I have the the stuff ready, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to change these, and then you don't get the answers back to the questions you've asked. So you're like, I'm going back on break. You know, <laughs> so this is like a limbo area for you guys still as the lawyers trying to help your clients or whoever uh, you're associating with. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lack of clarity on uh, some key issues and important issues on how you can structure your business. And uh, especially, you know, as it relates to, I think, management services agreements, stuff like that. I mean, that's pretty common in the industry generally. But how does that relate to the 51 percent ownership and control uh, requirement? Yeah. I'm not doing uh with social equity applicants uh, i'd like to hear your thoughts tom on that uh what's that uh management services agreements and uh and well, social equity applicants. i think management service agreements make some interesting uh idea okay how much operational experience do you have does your team really have and so who's going to be operating that that cannabis facility 
on day one so that it runs smoothly. Like if there's some type of partnership or it's a service agreement, what's the time duration of the service agreement? What does it specify and call for? And so if it's one of these things where it's training, because if you look at the ownership and control uh, element of it, it talks about management of the day-to-day -day activities. And so if you're doing management of the day-to-day -day activities, you should be the owner who's probably the agent in charge then. Uh, however, you've never been trained as this job and you, you don't have anybody who's got like management experience in that job. So having a partnership with somebody who operates uh, dispensaries in other states or even in the state of Illinois, if there's 10 uh, dispensaries in Chicago uh, or, or 11, that's that there's operational knowledge out there. Uh, those people could easily form consulting companies and have contracts to help teach the next 49 or whatever, you know, and then if that's what it's a partnership of and it lasts like for a duration of 12 months or something, as opposed to, you know, your Verizon bill, which you just never get rid of. It's just always there. Mm -hmm. But if, to the extent that they're used to, as a vehicle to suck out all the profits of the company and leave the equity owners with zip zero, no. Right. Yeah, that's not, no go. You know, Keely, uh, uh, one of the reason why I bring up home growth is one of the barriers I see in this whole situation. And I brought it up last week with Danielle. And, uh, uh, of course, she zoned out the, the, the blip or whatever, but uh, the glitch yeah, that we yeah. had. Uh, you know, uh, I had an email from a, a black gentleman from uh, Oregon who's trying to get, you know, in uh, the industry as far as he wants to have his own garden. You know, he just – and that's why I say home grow. What I witnessed out here in Washington was uh, people uh, uh, who just – we're gardeners, you know, not uh, savvy business people, not um, uh, very. In, I mean, they're industrious in the point of just growing. And then they would go to the store and sell their weed because uh, that's how it worked here. Um, I could grow my 13 plants as a patient. And then I'm like, oh, this is too much for me. I'll go to the dispensary down the street, see if they like it. And then they would buy it from me. And, and I mean, these cats built revenue. They built that capital that, you know, to get into this. Uh, business, you know, Tom and I talked about, you need hundreds of thousands, you know, it's not it's, like it's a legit business. I mean, yeah. it's, it's expenses, man. So yeah. what do you recommend for uh, people to get that capital for minorities? Where can we tap into where, cause this is still federally illegal. This is still a thing. You know, where so, can I get help? Yep. Yeah. I mean, so it depends on the market, you know, it's going to be different in Washington. It's going to be different in States where, uh, you know, licenses are more easily accessible because, you know, that creates, you know, more competition. So it's harder to, you know, run and sustain your business. But, you know, in states like Illinois, uh, where there's, you know, limited licenses, I think that main hurdle is getting that initial license for social equity applicants and getting the pursuit capital. So I think for a social equity applicant, once they get that license, you know, they'll be able to raise, they'll be, oh, yeah. they can be picky about who they want to raise. No, the license, the license is the asset. Right. So. Yeah. One of the things that I'm trying to, you know, explain to my uh, social equity applicant clients is trying to figure out how they can fund putting together mm -hmm. a high quality application, which can cost over six figures. And then mm -hmm. you're like, OK, well, that's just the application putting it together and everything's nice and, and ready to go. It gets mm -hmm. more expensive when you win. You know, and yeah. so they have to know that. And, yeah. and so, you know, if there's a way that through, you know, it, now, when you have to do offering memorandums or something where you're trying to actually shop uh, these these investments yeah. uh, for that, because they got 49 percent to, to to give, you know, that's yeah. that's marketable. That's a marketable thing. You, as you're saying, though, it takes a six figures to get just the application. I mean, now now you're yeah. talking about speculation like, hey, I really love weed there, guy with a billion dollars. Will you give me two hundred thousand so I can just apply for this? You know, how, mm -hmm. how are we going to get past that barrier just just to fill out the application? 
As, as, I mean, as, uh, you know, there are a lot of organizations uh, and funds out there that are looking to partner with social equity applicants and, you know, minority operators and provide funds and sometimes even, you know, pre-licensed services and all that. Um, so I think the best way for them to find those people is the one do you like do your homework already come up with a business plan like sort of put the basic pieces and framework of your business together and then i think go to a lot of these uh networking events and you know when there's speakers and panels that right right there keely i mean this is something that i mean i'm i'm a southern california raised mexican that you know my uh my mom was a teenage mom i I wasn't taught like uh infrastructure or uh, a good business sense you know my grandfather was a brilliant dude that uh he did a lot of things that were trump like but uh uh, he made a lot of money doing his thing uh you know you're talking about the business plan you know this we have a lack of business sense in the minority community you know but it's not just uh minority community i don't think i think it's just like shitty neighborhood situational type thing because we're in this area of america you know we uh like with uh tulsa oklahoma and black wall street you know it's proven mm-hmm. we're not more special or less special or less until more we're all in the same field now mm-hmm. but uh you know how do we learn that business sense and how do i build that uh you know where's my check marks for my list of things to do like one business plan what kind of business plan i was at a uh, an investor meeting <laughs> yeah well i here, here's the thing i was at an investor meeting and i asked this guy i was like what do you guys look for well, how can I get your money? It's pretty much what I'm asking, you know? And he's like, well, what we look for, I'd like to see an exit plan. I have no exit plan. I'm just trying yeah, to... You need an exit plan. Like, all my social equity presidents have an exit right. plan. You know, it's like, would like to be in three years? How about this? You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't have that shit. I don't think about that because I'm just trying to establish a thing to do. I know, but that's, that's why I'm not paying you. And, and that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's part of the problem with, you know, trying to get that traditional sort of venture capital and all that stuff is that, you know, they're looking for when can I get a return on my investment? And, you know, social equity applicant or people, you know, that are really integrated in their communities, they're probably thinking, I want to run this dispensary long. I'm not looking to sell my dispensaries just to, so you can, you know, you know, recoup your investment. You know, they want that to be there long term and they want it to be, yeah. you know minority owned or owned by people from that community. Um, Something I want to give my kids. Put that together, but that's not necessarily reflective of the um, tumultuous nature of the cannabis industry. If it turns out it is something where there's a lot of M&A and there's a lot of people that'll go broke. um, I don't know, man, just because if you are going to be shopping it for money, though, uh, especially if you're going to have to take on investors to capitalize the business, you know, mm-hmm. there you're going to have to speak their language. You're going to have to oh, talk about yeah. strategies and, yeah. and, and where you're going to get out. But like, how are you uh, framing your social equity corporate structures? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so the entities that I'd be involved with, I mean, I want them to be, uh, you know, I want our minority ownership to be as high as possible and our social equity applicant, uh, you know, ownership to be as high as possible, right. you know, considering the fact that we still need to raise funds nine times out of 10 from folks that don't qualify as social equity applicants. So I think, you know, the key for us in our applications is bringing the team. And so, you know, whether it's social equity applicants with industry experience, because, you know, we have some of those and, you know, social equity applicants with business experience, um, but then also, you know, persons on the team that are, whether they qualify as social equity applicants or not, that are just really integrated in the community, been doing work in the community, you know, our business savvy and all that. So what, yeah. um, is that you're doing? 
And then I was going to say, I sort of missed your question about the structure. You know, uh, yeah. you know, I want to give away the secret sauce, but you know, not that there is a secret sauce very long. I mean, like, you know, it's one of the things that when you're in the operational uh, aspects of the cannabis industry or it's a business and you see like how things are getting run, you're like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. You know, uh, you find out what works and you do it. I mean, that's 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 one of the hallmarks of like business. I mean, if you are a great operator, you're going to do things a specific way. I mean, there's a lot of, I always kind of find it ironic that the standard operating procedures are uh, confidential information. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, shouldn't they be standardized? Well, you know, (laughs) they are. Yeah. 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 Because that means uh, a good way to do business, no matter what. There's always a good practice. Um, best practices, yeah. Standard operating. Yeah. Well, and, and and that's what I think cannabis has given a lot of people is a sense of business. Like, all right, I can grow this plant. It uh, cost me six hundred dollars to grow it to this nice flowery state. If I sell it for a thousand, I make a profit. And then, do you take that four hundred dollars and reinvest it in yourself, or do you go into a casino? I mean, that's. You right, know, it's the second step. Money of, management is important. Yeah, right. yeah for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, so Gilly, with uh, uh, THC staffing, is this something that you're doing as well when you're uh, integrating with or interfacing with uh, applicants? You're trying. To, are you trying to help them, uh, maybe with licenses or, or you know get deeper into the industry? Yeah. So when I'm working with uh, you know potential licensees, that's uh, you know usually separate. That's just in my practice. You know, as a, mm. you know. Right. solo practitioner but yeah. uh with staffing you know we'll, we'll we'll work with applicants on you know their staffing plans and you know know a lot of people in the industry so we know a lot of good candidates um and some are social equity applicants with industry experience who are looking uh to partner with potential uh businesses that are pursuing licenses so yeah we can help them you know structure their you know their business and their applications so that you know it's uh, consistent with the goals of the social equity uh plan a program because like a lawyer you're wearing like three hats right i mean you're you're working at the group uh then you have your own practice and then you're part of a, a minority what was it what was the lawyer um aspect of that oh so yeah so uh once this sort of uh application season is over then i'll be starting a new job with uh chicago lawyers committee of civil rights so i'll be doing Jeez. uh equitable development uh work with them to develop you know small businesses and cooperatives and they're fascinating and doing some policy advocacy to sort of promote the same thing in Chicago. That's awesome. Like one of the things that I like about the cannabis industry is the weed sells itself. And so it does give the people an opportunity to start learning from business in a legitimate way and then teaching Mm -hmm. that to other people. And so the, some like the dispensaries, I didn't, I don't remember them having the specific obligation to have something that uh, addresses the economic development in disproportionately impacted areas. Like I did specifically for the craft grows and for the infuser licenses. But if you look at the overall, ten- overall tenets of the law, then you kind of understand what your company's culture should be. And yeah. uh, that's that's a very interesting policy uh, impression into the industry. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Illinois' variety of the cannabis game is a little bit different than it is on the West Coast. You know, it's a, yeah. a more woke version of cannabis because they've literally injected the new capitalism social justice into the statute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of there's some things that, you know, I would change about the bill. But, you know, I think it does deserve the title as the most, you know, uh, you know, equity focused bill in the country. And, maybe, and part of that is because, you know, and I would say it's efficacious uh, social equity that they've put into it. And sometimes it's window dressing. This one, you can't thread that needle and get that license unless you 
come from the position of the social equity. Uh, mm-hmm. And then for r- repairing, because like it was a pretty glaring omission. And, mm-hmm. you know, before we went live, you were actually talking about uh, Bernie Sanders's uh, cannabis plan. Yeah, that's right. So that's like, right. I mean, does it does it go to the same type of extent that uh, uh, Illinois does to empower ownership and those people that have been the most harmed by the law? Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, this is the first time that I've seen uh, a bill proposed at the federal level. I mean, it's not a bill, but, you know, sort of framework for federal legalization that touches on social equity to the degree that this does, you know. And so I know there's the Marijuana Justice Act, which I, you know, fully supported. Right. Um, You know, there's other been other legalization uh, bills and uh, sort of frameworks proposed, but this one touches on, you know, reparative justice. So there's something, you know, there's setting aside a certain amount of funds to reinvest in communities harmed by the war on drugs it includes expungements uh, but it also includes um business develop a business development fund um at the federal right. level help develop you know uh, minority businesses and businesses uh owned by people harmed by the war on drugs um and i think it sets aside a, a large amount significant amount of money uh to promote that um that's not something that i'd seen Think about what IRC 280E is bringing in. And let me let me share my screen right here. Uh, look at that. That's a big effing number right there. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of tax revenue and it's a lot of jobs. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you do that, I mean, if IRC 280E is sitting on top of the retail aspect of the industry and making it basically double taxed, uh, mm-hmm. man, the IRS is just fine with this legal, illegal marijuana. And I mean, it's, it's like free money to the government, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like how yeah. you refer to it as woke uh, legalization. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's multiple deal. <laughs> He's not lying, man. I mean, like, literally, read the, read the flipping laws all over. Like, LA's is just bizarre. And then, like, what they did in, okay, Massachusetts has a nice one, but then they, they make you only access the benefit of the social equity after you've gotten the license. So you never get the, the license. And so that's like yeah. the throughput of Mich- Massachusetts. That's the other darn thing. Cause you're looking at all these laws in a comparative landscape to see which ones are working the best. And, you know, you, you kind of mix up some States sometimes. Does Illinois, cause I mean, you guys are doing so well, at least with the, the, the creation of the law and uh, you know, and I think people underestimate cause I mean, you guys are kind of a flyover state. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so I mean, you got Chicago, but that's, I mean, there's nothing I don't think about. Let's go to Peoria, you know, like hey, hey, Wayne's hey, world. Nobody I mean, ever says let's go to Peoria. That's I've never yeah. But my my my, uh, my my thinking here is um son of a bitch I almost zoned out there um because I mean this is the thing so does Illinois have like in Washington we have people serving sentences you know federally uh residents uh land scores one and then also recently in uh what normal put up that stat where uh you know we're still increasing our arrest uh mm-hmm. what, in Illinois are there people serving time from the state do you guys are you aware of any of that I mean that's something I think would be a hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are people serving time for cannabis offenses in Illinois. Um, wow. And, you know, we, you know, I don't know, you know, the brain people. But I, that? I, I don't know the stats. You could find out, mm-hmm. I guess. But I mean, wouldn't addressing the social equity in your own state be like, all right, here's automatically 100 points or whatever. Just being in jail. Boom. You're, you're, you're the guy. 
Uh, no, they actually bifurcated the levels of that. So provided, I don't know how much you can maximally get punished for like in possession of a pound. Uh, I've never been a criminal attorney. Uh, Akili, have you have you ever have you only been commercial? Yeah, I've only been you know commercial M and A, all that stuff. So. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I would like nerd out about that, but that's yeah. a different world. And so it's like, you know, radiology versus, um, I don't know, orthodontists. I mean, they're yeah. just, they both have degrees. Sure. They know a lot, but it's totally different. Yeah. But like, yeah, right. I, what, what are your guys' criteria though? What's the, uh, like, if you're, uh, were filled in, or found in, um, violation of law for X amount of weed, it just seems silly to me. Why, why have a plant amount for being in trouble with the fucking plant? Like, why is this even a stipulation? <laughs> I agree. I would expunge or, you know, seal all cannabis convictions, you know, and, and you right. know, people that are in jail for cannabis or typically still are in prison for cannabis are probably in prison for, you know, additional charges as well. You yeah, know? I mean, like if you get caught with a gun, isn't that one of those things? And so, like, of course, you're moving weight. You're moving weight. in oh, yeah, yeah. Caps, I mean, like, duh, I got to protect myself here. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that should you, be a I think yeah. yeah. Yeah, safe access is another argument for fucking legalization. Right. And I mean, like, I have no problem with the concept that this stuff was untaxed. Like, you know, right. You're not supposed to be dealing in untaxed booze or cigarettes or anything like that. But make them pay a fine. Don't don't make us pay for them and ruin their lives at the same time. You know, Right. If there's no violent crime associated with it, then I don't see a purpose or benefit in continuing to incarcerate people, and especially beyond a certain amount of time. It's not rehabilitating anybody. It's not making society safer. I don't think any prison rehabilitates. I mean, it looks like from my yeah. review of how the prisons are structured and organized and operating, that looks like a goddamn powder keg waiting to go off. What are you doing to these people? Yeah. Well, we talked to Weldon last week, and uh, you yeah. know, the prison guards, you know, I try and look at life as like uh, everybody's just that's some dude doing their job that day. It's like my my bus driver, you know. I get on the bus. I try to be nice because like he's he's just doing his job. Like I appreciate you for just showing up, you know. Like I work in tech, and so I worked on the bad side of tech where I've had to. Uh, um, the checks and balances aren't there. It's kind of like you see how the meat's made. You're like, oh, this is fucked up. I really don't ever want to go to the hospital again or anything like that you know. I just don't trust anything because things that. You, you feel are supposed to be in the checks and balances aren't really checks and balances because checks and balances are just fucking paperwork. And mm -hmm. if you have someone good at paperwork, uh, ah, those checks and balances. Hey, nice. I like that. Hey, I hit the wrong button. That's oh, what happens when I uh, am producing my own show on the fly. <laughs> Sometimes they're a good thing, especially live on YouTube. And, you know, especially with you guys with, with as lawyers, I mean, you guys picked a good field to, uh, um, it's kind of, uh, Lawyers are what makes the world go around, at least, or keeps us civil. You know? They literally wrote the Constitution. <laughs> well, wasn't one of them like a? Uh, what were their jobs beforehand? You know, that's the thing. Like, who makes a king a king? You just wake up one day, and go, I'm king of you because I can. Right. I, I'm bigger. <laughs> you know, there's no real set criteria about like what we are. Well, you just got. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let no, it. no, I'm just gabbering, dude. <laughs> I talk too much. Yeah. Well, you are a lawyer processes involved in, you know, coming up with the constitution and choosing who would be the leader and all that, you know. Um, and well, Todd had um, the point of like orthodontist versus pediatrician. I mean, you guys are in your own lane doing like, Keely, uh, Tom's background is contracts and banking. What, what's like your lawyer background? 
Yeah, so my legal background, I mean, I went to law school, like, you know, most people to do public interest, you know, I was going to be a criminal attorney or human rights, public, you know, civil rights attorney. Um, I did that my first summer, I uh, worked for lawyers for human rights in South Africa, did criminal law. That was the last time that I did any criminal law. Wow, South um, Africa? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's pretty dope. Like, so like, I mean, obviously law is like, murder's bad everywhere. Murder's <laughs> bad everywhere. What's the, there's, yeah. there's different distinction in like types of law. And so in America, we have what they call a common law and other places they have the civil law and the, mm -hmm. it's a very nuanced distinction, but what do they have in South Africa? Is it common or civil law? And so South African law is kind of based on the British system. So there's a lot of similarities between the American yep. and, you know, so oh, yeah, yeah. there were also, you know, I was in Hong Kong, uh, fuck, dude, like 15 years ago when I was in Navy, and I met a magistrate. She called herself a magistrate and told me that they were the Whigs when they go. To, this is right in the turnover when they uh, yeah. did that. And I was just kind of like mind blown, picturing a bunch of Chinese people wearing the Whigs. I'm like, mm -hmm. I mean, the Whig thing's just silly, anyways. I mean, when, when the, the white people do it, it's still silly, but still, I was like, what? Yeah, uh, I, I didn't carry it over. I should stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I don't understand the wigs. What is up with those? Why? And like, I'm glad we don't adopt that. But we still have the black robe. That I mm -hmm. kind of get. It represents yeah, yeah. impartiality. It's right. uh, to me. I think it does. Well, wasn't there like a talcum powder, like kind of like a hallucinogenic in there? Like the, maybe it was the lead. Like, hey, I mean, if you're gonna fucking argue about shit, you might as well be a little on. You know, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Let me explain some of the decisions they made. In the writing, in the old English language, I would yeah. explain that. So you, uh, since you were in South Africa, and uh, that was the last time you did criminal. Uh, so you, in in the states wide, you're more into like the policy. Then is that what you've been doing? Uh, so, so yeah. So I came back from that, and then uh, you know, sort of, you know, changed my focus to uh, commercial transactional law. Got interested oh. in um, Got started. Contracts the size of a phone book. Yeah, and that was the next thing I didn't know was coming, but you know, sort of joined the firm. Um, thought I was going to be in the healthcare group, ended up in the corporate group, and then the next thing I know, I'm a corporate, you know, transactional attorney and all that. Did M and A, right. securities, public, you know, public company work, all that stuff, um, and then got the opportunity to join the cannabis industry. I've been a fan of the plant, of course, for a while. Um, that was my question for you. Yeah, uh, you're you're a consumer then. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm patient and a consumer. That's right. Yeah, nice. Yeah, but uh, that's really awesome that you're able to fall out into uh, an area of the law where um, the cannabis industry is exceeding. It's like it's it's, it's M and A and corporate structuring, but on steroids. Well, it's kind of like healthcare. Just the the amount of the federal regulation. Well, not the federal. They're the state regulations that you're under, and then the demand for the licenses is just you know if you're if you're in those areas of law, it's fascinating. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's well, fascinating. Anything cannabis. Uh, now, if you're a fan of the plant, I think you should be a fan of the law. Um, as I've gotten older and I've been doing this more and more, I see them being more surrounded by lawyers. And it, it kills me. Here in Seattle, we have Cultiva Law. who's a, uh, They have a uh, space on the 39th floor in Seattle. It's the highest balcony in downtown. It's a pretty cool spot to smoke a joint over a balcony of everybody and think, God damn, these guys make a shit ton of money to fucking have this spot and whatnot. <laughs> but, you know, the legality of it all, um, you know, here in Washington, one of the things that killed us uh, as we were going from uh, medical to uh, recreational, uh, the recreational cats were very against the non-taxing that happened in the medical side of things. They were like, well, why do I 
have to pay tax when these guys are getting away with it. <clears throat> so what they did is they created this fucked up group, uh, like this patient's care group, and uh, they mm -hmm. passed this law called the Compassion Act, SB 5052, which killed a lot of the loopholes that people were surviving under the medical side for or with um, that just killed medical outright out here. Um, I just think people realize that there is a huge recreational dollar being pushed uh, to uh, know where everything's at. And it's kind of bullshit because like Tom was saying earlier, the plant sells itself, you know, mm -hmm. and, and as, as I say about free home grows. And I think uh, I had to witness, I had the, 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 the luxury and pleasure of witnessing a real, uh, capital uh listic market you know a uh, 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 free capital where people just planted a seed made a little money and then started evolving into this like we had farmers markets here yeah. it was fucking insane farmers markets you walk mm -hmm. in there was jars of weed tens of pounds because it takes a lot of weed to make concentrates oh. and real medicine yeah uh and also it's not people are in this oppression like when tommy chung got raided they found a pound of uh, weed in like a drawer or some shit and they're like well what's That's this for it that, that, that offense would be uh, expungible. A pound of weed is fine to be caught with before <laughs> June 25th, which is just ridiculous. I mean, because a pound is still over the limit, right? Yeah. Now they're going to have this new law where it's like, it's my ounce. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, you have a pound, though. Is it going to be the same flipping crime still? And then you could just expunge it or, or what? You know, how are they going to enforce that that thing? That's and even why is that worth prosecuting you know i uh, or chasing or ruining someone's day or life over uh two weeks ago I, I was at a trial um i popped in here in washington we were still prosecuting people from shit from 2016 out here um there's an asian american gentleman out here uh he uh was pursued by the city of kent who's not very cannabis friendly they've never been cannabis friendly out here uh and uh they he was picking up rent at a renter's house uh that his dad owned uh, and while he was there, that when the raid happened, because they had plants there, um, and he was already implicated that those were his plants. And so now, three years later, he had to plea, make a plea agreement. Now he's got to do uh, community service and pay a couple fines, a couple thousand dollars in fines, which would break me. I'd be like, oh, fuck, I owe $2,000. But luckily, he's a good businessman. He's doing his own thing. Um, mm -hmm. But the fact that he had to get... Uh, you know, charged and this whole thing was happened for three years. It's ridiculous in a legal state, you know, all, all, you know, mm -hmm. just like the still arrests out there in Illinois, the, mm -hmm. the woke state. Yeah. But they <laughs> can't prove it. Uh, that was cause I, I, I'm not a criminal lawyer, but one of the lawyers in our office is, he's a very good one. His name's Jeff Hall. And mm -hmm. so he was talking about how now, and I, I wrote about it in the spring, how because of way they, the way they've created the farm bill and then all the states adopted the farm bill's definition of industrial hemp with its 0.3% Delta 9 THC level. And if you're growing flour under the perfect conditions, a lot of medical grade cannabis, particularly from the Verano brand, will be coming in at industrial hemp levels. So the THCA might be 30%, but the Delta 9 level is less than the 0.3%. So technically perfect by definition, it satisfies the term of art that is industrial hemp under federal law. Keep it away from fire, you know? <laughs> It just seems a lot of okay. wasted tax dollars and time. That's all in my, you know. Oh, 100%. Opinion. Yeah. And, you know, that goes off into the, you know, the larger conversation about, you know, what should be criminalized and what shouldn't be criminalized and drug legalization in general. I mean, I'm certainly of the opinion that people shouldn't be incarcerated for possessing a pound of weed or really 
any amount necessarily, but you know, yeah. I understand. you know, law enforcement has concerns about you know people dealing in illicit markets because it's, sometimes it does involve you know violence to enforce contracts and all that kind of stuff. But I think the right solutions are not incarceration. You know, oh for sure. I mean, yeah. people are jumping onto this whole, <clears throat> and I've always stand by the cannabis legalization, always will, and I actually support all legalization, but I don't champion that because let's just get one fucking thing at a time. And this is once really hard. And then once the country's on the same page and realizes, ah, oh, shit, the zombie apocalypse, we have to treat addiction. We have to, uh, oh uh, you know, rehab. I thought it was a crime. Oh, our yeah. policy's been stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Like, there's no point for the DEA. We have people protecting their jobs. It's what they're doing. They're not mm-hmm. trying. They don't care about us. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, go ahead. No, I'm going to let you talk. Uh, last, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, in a lot of ways, it has become a source of revenue for, you know, local, state and federal government, to, you know, fund a range of projects and stuff. And to a large degree, you know, the war on drugs has just been extracting wealth and, you know, funding other projects in government. And that that's not right. So. No, it isn't. And I don't like how they're using that same type. We talked about our woke system here in Illinois and the DEA and the drug prohibition and criminalization in general represents a characterization. No. Uh, yeah. Caricature. So like, you know, a grotesque disformation on that same concept, because why are they why does the DEA and all these drug logs exist to keep you from being bad? So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be a good thing as opposed to somebody who's evil what you're doing is wrongful i mean then that's why it became a crime and then just railroaded this concept of addiction or that you're 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 allowing cigarettes and alcohol but you're not allowing this why are you killing your people when you could be directing them to this thing that they could use which is less harmful to them it makes no sense mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, and with cannabis in particular, we know the history from the 30s to the war on drugs ramping up in the 60s that it was all about misinformation. You know, the entire, you know, entire program was created with political goals in mind. That, you know, the Nixon administration had demonizing, you know, the anti-war left and African-Americans, civil rights and all that. So it was never really about the plan. Dangerous to society it was always about politics and money. That's right. Yeah. It's unfortunate, you know, no one ever looked at the CSA and go, really? Heroin and weed? Yeah, yeah. right. Same thing, yeah. right? Well, like, it was, again, they spelled marijuana with an H back in 1970. So I guess like 1970 America didn't speak Spanish. Right, right, right. Spelled with an H. But, you know, yeah. I think it was a different world back then, too. I mean, the border issue back then, there was none. I mean, I, there's low and hardy. So being a Southern California boy, uh, half the shit we see is all like propaganda anyways, right? From some fear-mongering police state person that wants you to be afraid of the brown next brown guy or whatever you know like there's always got to be a reason that you're scared of something and uh uh, i remember as a kid dude before the border shit uh as far as it was an open border you know the you're going through but what they're what they're stopping was like people bringing in 200 bottles of tequila to try and make a you know they're they're protecting the tariffs they were pretty yeah they're they're not protecting you from the from the from the, the 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 family that's trying to get across to 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 mow your lawn and fucking uh clean your house no they're protecting tariffs. And that was the whole purpose of the borders when I was a kid. Like that was not this whole uh, citizenship that uh, uh, America first type crap. You know, I, the whole premise of it, America was like the, the guiding light, the shining fucking, you know, a place where we can all be free. And 
-hmm. we're not free when these assholes with fucking money and uh, 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 propaganda are steering this conversation of fear, you know? Uh, and that's what this plant has had for, what, 100 years. It's just fear propaganda against it. I have one right here. She's yeah. dying. I, I brought my plant inside from outside. We're just getting a cold snap. And uh, these plants are not friendly to, like, change, man. Do you grow, Keely? Have you tried? No, I have not tried. Uh, I, I'm afraid to try. I probably would ruin it. And it would be terrible. Are you looking forward to it? Because, hey, you said you're a medical patient. You have a place that you live. Are you going to try to grow some some plants? You know, when I uh, when I find out and buy a place, uh, then that's something I'm going to look into right now. And, you know, it's another issue. You know, it'll be yeah, legal hey. to grow. There's some very cheap houses in Peoria, Illinois, in uh, disproportionately impacted areas, and they have basements. That's oh, it. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. my one regret is not growing when it was uh, medical here because I could be a part of these, this game that these guys are doing now. Um, like I said, you grow your shit. It was too much for your own consumption, so you just took it down the street, and I made a couple thousand bucks and start that process over again. And and that's how it was, and that's my issue with home grow because it gives not just the consumer but the person a chance to to be a fucking successful business person. You know that that's what we're talking about a chance there's for everybody. There's taxation, like <laughs> concerns. How does the federal? Or, I'm sorry. How does the state government wet its beak? You know, you're you're just cutting them out. It's that libertarian aspect of Washington State that we just do not get in Illinois. But they'll wet their beak when I finally get my two hundred thousand dollars to be a player into the recreational market because that's gonna that's gonna be the thing. That's your transition. You don't want to have that nickel and dime selling all the time. You want to save up a lot of that cash whatever you want to call it slush fund and then invest into this recreational real business market because now no one's gonna fuck with my money because it's all legal right i mean all these uh that's why i don't fear about big marijuana because if big marijuana takes over this whole conversation these assholes with money don't want to go to jail and they'll fix the rules so nobody goes to jail for the plant because their business inherently is going to be illegal for a whole grow you know everything they do is going to be illegal and that's why I think, you know, people are still fearing the home grow, but I think it's a big issue. I think it's an essential part of this whole legalization process that, you know, we're further than we ever been or have been. But until that happens, only people with money can be uh, players in this in this game, you know. Yeah, and hopefully the Illinois, you know, social security program will start to address that. You know, um, you know, one of the downsides is that, you know, it does get give existing operators a head start, but the up yeah, the flip side to that is it, you know, provides a source of funding for social equity applicants, which is, you know, they're missing in those programs. So and then um, the state banking act, if you could bank your cannabis business, that would also okay. open that would that would make capitalization requirements come down substantially and open way more doors doors for the social equity applicants. Because I mean imagine if you had in oh man, I, I don't see any well, it's an asset in and of itself. And so if it was legal to bank, if you're awarded that asset, the bank would be like, you have what? Great. You know? what's, the, what's that? So with that, the, the money provided from this, your guys' bill, how much was that? It was like 800000 I think there was like a $30 million fund. Oh, it's a $30 million fund? So yeah. as a, my, my uh, equity applicant, I mean, how do I tap into this? And Because and I mean, just to be me, I want 200000 please, so I don't have to get many investors i want to try and just do this on my own so how, how do i get into that well one you gotta get the license so there's no like pre-license pursuit capital which is you know 
one of the downsides. But you know, once you, once you do get the license, you're gonna apply. But it's not clear how much you're gonna be able to get. There's gonna be a lot of demand uh, for that money, and so we don't know how that's gonna get broken up. Uh, you also yeah. be able to apply for grants. Um, so you probably do like, but then think about it, like, because you can't get it until you get it. So you got to get the license to get the money and you can't get the license without the money. You're stuck in a catch 22 because uh, in the license app, you still have to show that you're going to be adequately capitalized to open your doors. And you can say that you're going to be asking for money, but you know. So like the recommendation would be like, if you're trying to be an equity applicant, first you need to get the money for the license application. Like that's your first boundary. That's your barrier. Like you were saying, mm -hmm. And, well, yeah, and that's the thing, and, you know, and Tom talked bit on this just now, um, you know, you want to have money pre-licensed and then you want to show in your application that you actually have access to money post-license too. Um, and I don't think that the strongest application is going to be the one that says, you know, well, we're going to apply for loans from the state because maybe that's only $30,000 or something. That's not enough to, to stand up your business. So. Oh, yeah. And not a guarantee. No, and not at all guaranteed. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's difficult, but I mean... Uh, in theory, this is going to open up the cannabis industry to new players like mm -hmm. that we've never seen. And Siri thinks I'm talking to her, but also uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not that they, they've created these limitations. So like, OK, Siri, that's good. Uh, and UCI, evidently, if they already had five. So is that the early ones? Could they because if they have five medical licenses, they could then get two. So are they going to be maxed out at their 10 dispensaries? Because from the way that I read the law, nobody can have more than 10 dispensaries in the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was my understanding. You can't have ownership of more than 10. So, I mean, I think a, a lot of the current players end up being maxed out. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that will change in the future. Um, Let's hope but, not, because I like that. Mm -hmm. It's diversity yeah. of the, yeah. the industry, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would bring it down. I would bring it down to probably five or less or something. Yeah, you know. Well, how much business can you do with five dispensaries? Fifteen million a year? More? Plenty, yeah. plenty of plenty of business. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I think you're gonna be okay. <laughs> well, like I've been watching. We have the Have a Heart. Have a Heart. Uh, you know, it's funny how they've been working on this license -ish angle, uh, and it kind of they go after people who are not. I don't know. I don't know if the what the bias is for who they chase because we have this one Have a Heart that has three shops here in Washington and they have one in uh, uh, San Francisco. And, and then we had another cat who, what they try to do was, this is a beautiful store. You walked in, it was a store. And then you, the next door was a grow. And then the next door was a processor where you could like walk in through like a hallway and see all the other stuff, like kind of like how it was happening, the how you got your plant or your flower. Uh, but they had to work on their loopholes of like two licenses, three licenses and then uh, uh because the walls it had a door that closed they were considered separate areas i mean it just seems like some bs that we're dealing with still here in washington state can imagine in illinois you guys you know with the ownership that's going to be huge a lot of players are going to be your medical side i think still too that's that's what we've seen here there's a lot of the medical people uh who will reestablish that capital are going to be the ones in the recreational creating your guys's uh infrastructure and culture that's kind of another thing is uh, a lot of these big money players don't understand the culture. Like the, they don't give a fuck what, who went to jail or who got arrested or who died. You yeah. Know? That's one of the reasons why I'm really, I don't necessarily negate the stoner image uh, of Cheech and Chong and all that and think like, Hey, we're trying to come up to something like that. I'm like, man, fuck that. 
those guys were taking all the risks and you're getting all the benefit. And now you're trying to sweep them under the table like they didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I care about the culture of cannabis, you know, and so I want to preserve that. I don't want that to get lost in, you know, the expansion of the industry and things becoming, you know, more consolidated and industrialized and all that. I like the, uh, you know, like I like craft beers, you know, like I don't go to the bar. I'm like, where are the Bud Lights? You know, no, no diss to Bud Light, you know. <laughs> but, you know yeah, yeah. Bud Light on tap, you know, that's not what I'm saying. You know, I like craft beers. I'm yeah. like, I like craft cannabis you know i want you know more attention and detail and you know uh to the plant and to my products so well as i say i don't think you can ever like even though winners write the history they'll never be able to brush out the the culture that exists already because you know it was long ago that you know it wasn't too long ago rather where i was you know tom was right under home rogue and i was uh uh you know, you'd have conversations about, hey, do you like pizza? You know, pizza with extra green. Uh, get like an eighth of pizza with extra green. You know, there's a way that you had to live, right? Now I'm a grown man. I don't got to do that shit. And I could be like, hey, I'm going to the store. Go get some weed. You know, like it's just like a beer. But the craft bro, like you're saying, like I like good IPAs. Like I'm, I'm, I'll be a stereotype Same. fucking Northwest guy. Yeah. I like a good, <laughs> good high ABV. My wife likes lagers. So I'm like, eh. But, uh, uh, you know, again, because uh, like the the culture that we have, understanding what you like, you understand mm-hmm. what you like because uh, a bunch of us had to do something beforehand, shake hands, you know, a deal, a handshake and a deal, to get mm-hmm. to where we're at to understand the plant better. And that's why I always emphasize homegrown as well, because not only will it give me a chance to make money, but it gives you a chance to understand like growing is fucking hard. You know, you, yeah. you, you you plant the seed, you take, you know, there's a, a A to B nutrients uh, flushing. Uh, all kinds of things, curing, uh, mm-hmm. trimming. Trimming's a fucking art. <laughs> you know, my shit last year looked like it was like uh, 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 Mexican brickweed, but uh, uh, that's because I learned trimming techniques. It looks good in the beginning. Dry some more. You're like, ah, shit, that's horrible. And then you can refine it and whatnot. There's a lot of things to do with this plant. Uh, and with home grow, you give everybody a chance, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I support home grow. I support the expansion of home grow. Um, I think anybody should be able to grow on their own uh, up to a certain amount, maybe you know. But, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna interject some uh, some audience participation because they're it's like you know they they wanted some audience participation from your mid seven, and I figure we could get to one question and then uh, discuss it and maybe wrap yeah. up because we've been going on for about an hour. So Brandon, yeah, mm-hmm. what happened to the Federal Banking Act? I'm not sure what bill that is. Uh, have you heard of a federal banking act, Akili? Uh, maybe means the state act. Banking act. Well, and I yeah. think it's just a concern about policy. Like right, uh, right now, our home grow, we are in a, um, uh, I don't know what it, what's the fucking, you guys know the words for like when they stop doing legislation one period and they're going to start up again in January. Recess. Is it a recess? Yeah. All right. So I, I just always assimilate that with court. You know, like ah shit, they're going to recess. Like now, go smoke a cigarette or whatever. But uh, uh, so we're in recess. And again, when you learn about policy, you learn how how fucking hard it is, and and you get frustrated. Like why it's easier to put people in jail than it is to get them out. Um, because you know Tom's been educating me as well with the whole House and Senate thing, unic bicameral, unicameral. Like why can't just one person like just tweet something now it's done like we're 
but instead there's a layer process. And with that safe banking act, people don't understand that now it's going to what the house. Uh, it's done with the house, made it out of the house, going to the Senate. Senate. So yeah, it's got to go through one to another. Like mm -hmm. people just assume like, Oh, it got through. Like people got excited, but we still got another layer, another hurdle. Yeah. Some of that responsibility, uh, you know, lies on, uh, you know, media outlets to, you know, they just send those sensational clips like, oh, Safe Banking Act is approved. And, you know, and they think, you know, oh, it's going to be law. It's like, no, oh, it's approved by, you know, the House. Now it's got to go to the Senate. So, and then once it's through the Senate, it still has to get signed by the president, right? Yeah, which I think, you know, Trump would, would do. So Trump well, would do it. Well, what about President Pence? Pence, that? Pence is not going to be president. No. We're not going to. We're not going to impeach the guy. We're just going to get him out of office next year. You don't and think it's Bernie? Well, like that. Hey, uh, can't. It wasn't one of Bernie's things that he said he was going to try to legalize it effectively day one through an executive yeah, action. Yeah, yeah. You have the authority to do that. You know, this is outside of my wheelhouse. I don't. Yeah. Outside of area of expertise, but I didn't know he did. Uh, but I'd like to see him try. Yeah, <laughs> he tweeted that on four twenty, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to thank you for coming. We've been going on for about yeah. an hour. Uh, where can people find you? Oh, man. Uh, I have a, a low presence or a small presence on social media. Uh, is, that, so, is that intentional? Intentional. <laughs> yeah. What's well, the good stuff? Uh, well, you, you, got the... you can look me up on LinkedIn. <laughs> nice. All right. Before we before we head out, I wanted to get to one thing on this. We've we've asked a poll about because this is the second um, activist hour, which ah. didn't. Uh, and so it's it, we've asked them, like, what should we call it? The cannabis conversation, the high oily hour, the Sunday sesh or the cannabis congregation. And currently the cannabis congregation is just killing it out there. So uh, if you guys see this on the channel, uh, please give it a vote. And, uh, you, that, you know, um, see you next time. All right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you.